Warning, the following episode contains Tom Hanks, violence, boring font, a front-loaded plot, fawning over a great goddamn acting, whining about a goofy goddamn plotting, strong language, false young love, reality television, and the following episode may contain whistling. Welcome to the Band Library Podcast. Welcome to the podcast. My name is S.D. Harker, librarian, writer, battle royale announcer. You can follow me on Twitter at BandWriter. You can follow the library at BandLibrary on Twitter, also Instagram, Facebook, and Children Hunting Children message board. But I don't pay attention to most of those. If you would like to help support the Band Library, go to our Patreon over at patreon.com slash bandlibrary. There's a link on the post and on the website. For a dollar a month, just $12 a year, you can be a member of the Friends of the Band Library and get access to damn near everything we've ever posted, going back 74 years, roughly. We just did a review of Falcon and Winter Soldier episodes. I think one and two went up today. But we're going to continue that just because I like talking about it. And sometimes my reviews on the website don't... Well, I just like to ramble. Let's just go with that. But we're not talking Falcon and Winter Soldier today. We are talking... What are we talking about? The Hunger Games. When a young girl is picked to fight to the death, she does it. Pretty much. But the crazy dystopian society that she lives in, possibly our future, just kind of wants to keep the girl down. Who are the writers and directors of this epic movie nonsense? Well... There's Gary Ross, he's the writer and director. He's born in 1956, Los Angeles. Ross was the son of Albert Ross. He was an acclaimed screenwriter, wrote a movie called Brew Baker. His first big screenplay was Big, starring Tom Hanks. You're wondering where that was going to come in, didn't you? He went on to write and direct, and this is still Gary Ross, not Tom Hanks. Gary Ross went on to write and direct many movies, including Pleasantville, Seabiscuit, Ocean's 8. My favorite of his is actually Dave. If you haven't seen that one, it's a spectacular movie about the president who has a heart attack while or a stroke while having sex. And an imposter basically has to come in and pretend to be him, the president of the United States. And he actually gets things done because he's a regular American Joe. But it's Kevin Klein doing his Kevin Kleiniest, Sigourney Weaver. It's fucking great. I love that movie. Uh, the other writers, there's two more writers. Suzanne Collins, she also wrote the novel. She was born in 1962 in Hartford, Connecticut. She moved around a lot. Her family was military. She graduated from the Alabama School of Fine Arts as a theater kid. She went on to graduate from New York University's Tisch School. She wrote for many Nickelodeon television shows, which I only recognize Clarissa Explains It All. She was nominated for a Rogers Guild Award for something called Santa Baby. Her novel, The Hunger Games, was published in 2008. 
I think we've covered it way back. I don't even know how far back. It may actually only live on the Patreon at this time. Bless your mess. The third writer on this was Billy Ray. He was born 1965 in Los Angeles. His first directing job was Shattered Glass. If you've seen that, it's pretty good. Uh, it's about, uh, shit, what's the guy's name? Uh, his last name was Glass. He was like a writer for the New York Times who was found to be lying about all the stories. Hayden Christensen, I believe, plays the main guy. It's a really good movie. I enjoyed it. As far as I remember, it's been a bit. He was nominated for Most Promising. This is Billy Ray, not, not Hayden Christensen. Billy Ray was nominated for as Most Promising Filmmaker by the Chicago Film Critics for that movie. He received an Oscar nomination when he directed Captain Phillips, starring, wait for it, wait for it, Tom Hanks. There's your connection. That's why I put that in the warning, because you got two Tom Hanks references in this weird-ass thing. Maybe that's how they met. Maybe they know each other that that way. Anyway, pretty good writer, or and decent director, I guess. Now, before I watched this movie, I looked at why... I'm, I'm going to start trying to do this. Like, why was it banned? I remember watching this when it came out, 2012. I was pretty sure it was for violence. I mean, killed, children aren't killing each other. It's not crazy to think that's the reason. And, of course, in 2012, Vietnam, uh, it was banned for extreme violence and killing. Which, I don't know how you get killing without extreme violence, but there you are. I mean, maybe... Yeah, what? Actually, I'm pretty creative. I can think about it. But that's the reason we're talking about it today. And as far as I know, uh, Vietnam has not unbanned it. It's still not available over there, commercially sold. But you could probably get it because, or at least not in theaters, as far as I know. You probably get a DVD of it somewhere. It's, I mean, come on. It's 2021. You probably get a download of it anywhere. Probably on Vietnam, Netflix, or whatever the fuck they have. I, I, don't, I don't know enough. I'm ignorant. But I'll still say, even fucking WandaVision showed, you can get episodes of Malcolm in the Middle in some kind of war-torn hellscape that Tony Stark's bombing. You can get fucking Hunger Games. It's one of the biggest goddamn movies, one of the biggest goddamn movie stars. Although, what happened to her? Who knows? She got tired of X-Men. <laughs> I guess that's what happened to her. She's talented, though. She should come back. Anywho, so let's get into the plot of this crazy-ass movie with kids hunting kids. First thing on screen is white text on a black background saying that every year two kids from each of the 12 districts of Pan Am, it's the United States, come on, are picked for the Hunger Games in something called the Reaping because we have to have words for meaning things. It is a battle royale fight to the death between all these kids. One winner will come out. This is the future of the United States. Like I said, this is about 75 years after some kind of crazy-ass civil war that started these Hunger Games. And we'll get more of the purpose of them a little bit later. This opening is boring as shit. It's just plain, boring font on the... Like, they couldn't even choose, like, an interesting font. It's just black with these white letters just telling us bullshit that could have been a, a moment of exposition that is told later And one of my big criticisms of this movie is right here. It sets out. It thinks it's... This movie thinks its audience is an idiot. I'm going to say it right now. And I don't know if that's because it's YA and it's got that target or what. 
But there's some really sophisticated camera moves. There's some really sophisticated storytelling in this visually. So I don't think it's the director. Yet he had a part in writing this. And at some point, they just treated the audience like a bunch of assholes. I'll get into that more in, well, as I talk through it and definitely in the critique section later on. But yeah, there's just this like spoon feeding of information that it's almost like it doesn't trust its audience to remember something that happened two hours ago. And it, I mean, there's a lot of shit that happens in this movie, but not enough to, you know, dumb it down like that. Also, yeah, this is me sighing. What? I smoked for a long time. Leave me alone. Um, yeah, it just feels broken in a way. Like, I almost don't think this should be a linear plot. It's really top heavy. Like, the Hunger Games themselves don't start for like almost an hour and some change into this bad boy. And even then, it just feels really quick. Like, I kind of wish this was one of those, and it's almost a cliche to do it now, but like, how did we get here kind of things, you know, where we start out in the Hunger Games. Like, Imagine the movie where you started out with her just kind of popping up out of that tube, waiting on the platform, people just murdering, kids murdering the shit out of each other, and then her running like crazy, hiding and trying to like think back to when she was selected for the Hunger Games. That'd be fucking amazing. But anyway, maybe I'll have to write my own. Because our story starts in a mining town, District 12. Cadness Everdeen is calming her sister, Prim. Primrose. Today is the reaping. A boy and girl are chosen. This is Prim's first year to be in the running. Apparently, the the way the running works is kind of crazy. I mean, it's big fishbowl. Somebody pulls out a name out of a hat, basically. But every year you have to put your name in. But during that year, you can take extra food if you want your name in there more. So say I took some extra food, I would have my name in there six times. The first time original, and then five more for the extra food. And I think one uh, Katniss's friend, Gail, has it 43 times. So it just shows you what kind of world we're living in. Katniss sneaks out, goes past a high-voltage fence. She's hunting deer. Gail, her quote-unquote friend, and I'm not saying that because he's her quote-unquote friend, like he, he's an enemy, they got a thing. Let's just say that. He spooks the deer, and then they're spoke, spooked by a low-flying hover plane thing. Gail sits there, talks about running away, shares a piece of bread with her because happy reaping day. But we learn later, yeah, he's kind of, he's on the short straw here. Although we wouldn't have a fucking movie if he went, so we know he has no problem going. He's not going to go. But it's nice to show the trepidation, I guess. Cadness kills a bird, brings it in to trade with. The old lady she's trading with gives her a Mockingjay pin, which this is the laziest way to get that Mockingjay pin. It's like, some old lady gave it to me. But she gives it to Prim, Primrose. Why couldn't it be your dad's? I'm just saying. She gives it to Primrose, saying, while you have it, nothing bad can happen to you. Which is technically true. Nothing bad happens to Prim, and technically nothing bad happens to Katniss. I mean, she gets fucked up pretty good, but she's helped out eventually. But all the kids in town get clean, get 
gussied up in their nice final wear, finer wear, which for our girls here is just a plain fucking dresses. It's a poor mining area. They go down to the reaping where Effie, Elizabeth Banks's character, very, we see the capital in this ostentatious, she's, her, she's fucking purple, like head to toe. Everything about her. And just very prim and proper. Just, I mean, you're meant to hate her, but Jesus Christ. She could have been at least less of a capital stooge. She shows a video of the President Snow giving a history lesson of everything that we read ten minutes ago in the fucking opening boring-ass text thing. And then she reaches her hand in the big bowl full of names, because ladies first, and pulls out... Prim, of course. Well, who do you expect? It wouldn't be Cadmus right, right along. And I'll say one thing. The actress playing Prim, I didn't look it up, is fucking really good. Like, she freaks the fuck out. And Cadmus, to save her sister, volunteers. I volunteer as tribute. And, like I said, proving pin's pretty good luck. Because someone will always save your ass if you have that pin. Depending on your point of view, I guess. And this other kid named Peter, who we don't know, he's chosen. Cadmus gets a last visit as she's sitting there. Her mom and her sister come in. Prin gives her the pen. And Cadmus turns on her mom and is like, you can't shut down like when dad died. You have to take care of her. And it's fucking like brutal almost. Like you just can't do it. You've got to be okay. And mom's like, okay, I guess I will. And it's going to be okay. And then Gail comes in. You know, if they fuck off the family. Gail comes in for some reason. He tells her, yeah, you can do this. And she's like, Gail, don't let them starve. They're going to be crazy. And Gail's like, I got them. You give them a good show. And this is where we really start seeing that everybody but Katniss, it's like she's, she's focused on survival, most importantly. Well, everybody else sort of gets the ulterior motive to the games that it's a reality show. It's a, it's a, it's entertainment, not this life or death struggle of an actual life or death struggle. I don't know. It's, it's, there is some complexity to this plot. It's just not very handled very well, in my own opinion. So we get on the opulent train and PETA and Katniss have never seen shit like this before. And they sit down and they meet this drunk dude named Hamage, played by Woody Harrelson. He's a former winner, and he's supposed to be mentoring them, but he's just really a depressed drunk guy. And they really don't get into him as much as they really should. Because, I mean, eventually you like halfway, half-ass learn, because he sobers up pretty fast. But you sort of half-ass learn that the reason he's so super depressed and everything is he's been mentoring kids for a long time. And every year he, you know, tries to impart some wisdom to these kids, and they're just slaughtered. And it's fucked up. So it would have been nice. I mean, it's nice to have this little bit here, but it would have been nice to have a little... I mean, as much as we're spoon-fed, there's got to be something on cutting room floor where he's just like, I trained three of you bastards and they got cut down twice. Or at least having be like, the girl five years ago tried that bullshit too and she, her head's on the spike somewhere. You know, something like... 
the fact that he's been training other people and they've been murdered savagely every goddamn time, it would have been nice to have that little bit. But then again, I'm also complaining about economy and storytelling here, so whatever. We have breakfast. Apparently, Hamish has got, or Peta gotten Hamish on his side. They become a little closer. Katniss won't let Hamish have a nice breakfast until he tells her how to survive. And he, she even drives a knife when he reaches for the fucking jelly. She, like, stabs the placemat. Hamish tells her, maybe you should watch Peta. Because while they've been sort of arguing a little bit, and they train pulled into the Capitol... Peter's been walk, looking out the window at the crowd that's waving at them, and he's waving back. He's playing the game. Which the real game is getting people to like you so that once you're fighting to the death, they'll support you. Those are known as supporters. Sponsors. Arriving, all the combatants are scrubbed down, dressed up. For some reason, they're not giving a tracker right here. But un- later, I don't know why you wouldn't want to track these kids that have never been out of their districts before in a capital. I mean, you could probably find them pretty easily. Their pictures are everywhere, but still, you'd think they would have put the tracker in at this point. And we're introduced to Cinna. Cinna? Not sure. Gonna go with Lenny Kravitz. District 12's designer. He's the one that's gonna put clothes on them and make them fancy before they go in there and they kill each other. He puts them in these flaming outfits that cause a huge stir as they're charioted out Peter grabs her hand and holds it aloft. Crowd fucking loves it. President Snow pops out. Um, Donald Sutherland doing a pretty good job. Doesn't feel like he's completely sleeping through this. He gives a nice, nice speech. Uh, two announcers, one of which is Stanley Tucci. I don't know the other guy, but he's good. Uh, they go off, you know, just talking about oh, the crowd's going wild with this. Again, not another, not a bad way to tell the story. To have these announcers in the background. There's a lot shown here about how the Capitol looks down on other districts. Like at one point, they're like, we got a scrubber twice, <laughs> you know, that kind of shit. But some, like Senna, and even to some extent, the commentators, although they just want to put on a good show, they do support the kids. They're there, they're listening to them, they're paying attention. They want these kids to survive. We're going on to training. We meet all the other combatants. There's this blonde District 1 kids who are, they're just Aryan trained from birth. But I think Effie at one point says, well, they don't get desserts. As if they need it. They're like 1% body fat. Among others, there's a girl who's really good at survival. She's got red hair. I think they call her fox face. Uh, one good, one's good with knives. One that's all sneaky. And there's a bunch of other ones. Uh, the sneaky one's Rue, of course. Peta is strong. He throws some shit around and impresses a lot of the nerdy kids. Katniss can shoot a boat, as we saw with her hunting earlier. At dinner, uh, Peta kind of goes off on Katniss, tells her that, yeah, District 12 might have a good shot this year, his mom told him. We find out a little bit later his mom's kind of abusive. But at this point, she was talking not about Peta, but about Katniss. And Katniss sort of remembers a time, and this is sort of sparsed out through the entire fucking movie, but he was really nice to her, and when she was starving one time, or as the movie shows, crying in the rain, because it doesn't really go into the whole, oh, they were starving after her dad died. Like, that's pretty fucked up, 
and P-Duck gave her some bread because there was some burnt bread or some shit. I'm remembering most of this from the book because the movie doesn't tell you that. There's a really nice scene where it's raining. He's got some bread. His mom's beating up on him and the bread's a little like blackened. So he's like tossing it to some pigs and he looks over and there she is just in the rain, like crying. And he's like, okay. And he like throws the bread in front of him instead of in the pig pen and walks away and she eats the bread and blah, blah, blah. So yeah, it's, there's a connection there. They have to be evaluated. Katniss gets pissed. The judges aren't paying attention to her. They're, they're looking over this big roasted pig with an apple in its mouth. So she takes her bow and arrow and she shoots the apple out of the pig's mouth, which I don't know if the Olympics was be like this, but I'm pretty sure shooting it near the judges would be a disqualification, but she's given a really high score. The odds of her survival are really big from what they say. Haymitch is all for it, especially after she shoots it. She says, thank you for your consideration and does a little curtsy. It's fucking classic uh, smartassery. It's just great. Uh, behind the scenes, we get Snow talking to the games master. Another guy, uh, Seneca, I believe his name is. I'll probably call him the games master through this whole thing. Snow explains that, you know, do you know why we leave one kid alive? Because hope is better than fear. Basically, whoever wins, and again, this is not part of what we told here, but whoever wins comes home and they have like riches. So to to give that sort of hope to an entire district to come home, not just with riches, but to come home is more than, it's worth more than a lot. Um, It's worth more than a lot. It's worth more than just beating them down. To tell them, you know, once a year that you could have glory. That means something. And to give that hope that they can rise above the other districts, themselves, better trained people. It means something. Cadness gets news that Peter wants to train by himself. Hamish explains that yeah, it happens um, because only one of you can come home. So this happens. And here's where I wondered, have there been suicides? Has somebody gotten here, seen all the other combatants, and been like, fuck that, and like cut their own throat? There's a shitload of knives and stuff. They've obviously got some kind of way to, like multiple ways to kill themselves. Suicide by another combatant. They're not supposed to fight with each other, but again, they've got goddamn swords and bows and arrows and stuff. What if somebody just like jumped in front of somebody and was like, fuck you. Swung a knife at him and he had to retaliate, you know. There should have been some type of suicide at some point. Not everybody can handle all this shit. Not everybody thinks they're a winner. Just saying. They have an interview. The last interview before the big games. Cadness twirls around, showing off her fire dress. Stanley Tucci is very excited about it. They're now calling her the girl on fire because, well, she has a really high score, so she's on a shooting up the ranks. Plus, she's worn at least two outfits now that have caught on fire. And then... Peter comes out, gives his interview. It's very charming. He's joking around with the tooch, having a good day, and then drops the bomb that he's had a crush on Katniss. Well, that's very unfortunate, Stanley Tucci says. And after, Katniss is super pissed. Like, why the fuck would you say that? And Hamish is like, he probably just fucking saved your goddamn life, you crazy asshole. This is a television show. He's creating drama, Peter is. Which... 
To my answer, they still have something called television. I mean, I guess it would be called that, but I mean, wouldn't it be called like streaming or I don't know. It just feels strange that they still call it television when that's a term for now. That's a term from almost a hundred years ago in now's terms, but I guess it has changed. Cadness and PETA share a moment late at night. He says he wants to go out by himself. You know, by as himself. He doesn't want them to change him. They don't want to have... He doesn't want the capital to have control over him. Cadness says she can't think like that. She can only think about survival. Which again, like we said before, it's just in her character. Next day, they're prepping for the games. They're about to start. Haymitch tells her some advice about the beginning, mainly... Stay on your platform or they'll blow you up and then run like hell. Don't go for any of this stuff because basically there's going to be this giant metal cornucopia looking thing. It's like big as a house with all types of supplies and weapons and all kind of stuff. And they're going to pop up from underneath the ground around this thing. And your basic option is get some supplies or run like hell. And he tells her to run like hell. Find water. It's your new best friend. Sin addresses her. This is where they also get fucking trackers for no goddamn reason. Like I said, they should have had these trackers way back in the beginning. Sin addresses her, gives her the mocking J pen, says, Go get him, girl. And I mix this up with the next one where a bunch of guys came in and beat the shit out of you. <laughs> Spoiler alert for catching fire, or whatever that fucking book was. And hopefully, then I'll have to do it too. But anyway, the games begin. Big countdown, all that kind of nonsense. There's this, and it's it just goes silent. The film does all together, and it's chaotic with its shaky cam. And there's just blood and violence and people hacking people to death. Twelve kids die right off out of twenty four, all of them fucking dead. This is kind of what I came for, you know, kids killing kids. This is brutal. This should be shown. This should be just scary. Cadness does manage to grab a bag. She hides in a tree. While she's hiding, she looks over and sees a fire. She's like, God damn it. Somebody's going to die. And of course, we go to the fire. We see this girl sitting around the fire and she's she's shivering. And then looks over and there's those blonde fuckers from, I'm going to call them the Alliance. Because a bunch of kids get together, you know, better in numbers, I guess. They look over and then you cut back to Cadness and you just hear screams. And then their screams stop. That's a really fucking terrifying scene. It's actually really well done. Really stupid of that girl for lighting a fire in the middle of, you know, goddamn psychopath. But it's just really good. That's a really well done. There's really good stuff here. And these first two scenes of just like the chaos of the battle of people getting like just slaughtered. And then just a very quiet slaughter, I guess, is the best way to say that like it's just it's haunting almost the way her screams just die off and we know what happened especially that fucking blonde asshole just which he's a really good actor too i've seen him in several things he's in a really good one uh west bentley actually plays seneca in this the games master he's in a good movie with abigail breslin and this guy don't forget it don't remember his name don't care he shouldn't he's a nice guy i'm not gonna i don't i don't know him personally uh, called Final Girl, where she hunts a bunch of final, like, bunch of douchebags that were going to kill her. 
It's really good. Like, check it out. Final Girl. Anyway, Cadness keeps moving. She's getting away from other people. Game makers are like, she's still too far away from other people. We got to have a, this is a TV show. So they set the forest on fire and have it chase her. <laughs> she gets w- wounded during this, cut on her leg or some shit. And at this point, like literally they're sitting there and they have these like 3D models and they're looking at everything. And one of them's like, yeah, knock down that tree. He's like, okay. You know, like he touches the control board thing and then we cut back to Cadmus and shit's on fire all around her and this tree falls. If they have that much control over everything, like, why the fuck did they have to have the Hunger Games to control anybody? Why do they need anything? Like, I get this arena is probably a special space, but Jesus Christ, this is a level of technology that I don't think is ever seen in the series again or will probably ever be, like, it's insane. Like, this is some Star Trek holodeck shit that they have. Like, what level of tech is this that they can't survive and feed everybody and do any kind of, like, why in this dystopian world is this allowed? Like, is this tech? I, I'm, I'm finding it hard to rectify the fact that this technology exists with this society that makes any sense of course you could also say that about our own why can't we feed people when you know we throw out food all the time but i'm just saying this is like next level magic to control this arena and yet they've got to have dudes with guns keeping an eye on people so they don't rebel it just feels weird anyway the alliance of blonde people shows up they do find her they treat her we learn that pete is with them fucking traitor basically so they can you know track her down uh peter convinces to wait her wait her out like they try to shoot some arrows at her and she's like oh, fuck it her leg is infected and really fucking hurt we don't know how long she's been up there i figure a day or two some sponsors send some medicine fixes her up nice that morning the alliance is all still sleeping katniss cuts down what's called this tracker tracker jacker think wasps Really bad fucking wasps with like hallucinogenic venom. Uh, they sting the shit out of her and she knocks it down onto them while they're all sleeping. One girl who happens to have a bow and arrow dies. All the other ones get chased off. Uh, Kenneth takes the bow, runs while hallucinating. She sees fucking Stanley Tucci. She sees other shit. She's just losing her goddamn mind. And this scene in general is just so many stupid character choices. And I'm not saying. I mean, the the girl with the fire who got hacked to death, that's a stupid character choice, but it's a stupid choice for that. It's a stupid choice for that character to have made. Here is a stupid choice for a group of characters that has been made for them. Like, the only way that this goddamn nest of devil wasps is going to fall on them and them not notice is if they're all asleep, yet they're in a game where they're fighting tooth and nail to kill each other. And they all go to sleep together. <laughs> it makes no fucking sense. Especially when they say, basically, the only reason they have Peter around is to find Katniss. They did that, and Peter still lives. It should have been like, there she is, cool, stab Peter. On top of that, 
even if you are in alliance with several other guys, I wouldn't trust any any one of these motherfuckers. I've seen them hack people to death. And I know they're all upper crust blonde. Well, there's a couple, like, the two dark haired. Whatever. I know they're all, like, District 1 and 2. They probably all know each other. They probably all hang out at each other's houses and play Xbox or whatever. But I wouldn't fucking trust them in a thing to the death. And I don't know why. It's just so stupid. And I get it that it has to happen for the movie. But no, it doesn't. It has to happen so she can drop this fucking thing on them. She, the girl with the bow should have been there by herself is what I'm getting around to. It just, it's stupid. But Katniss is all delusional. She dreams of her father dying in a mine explosion and her house explodes too. And she's screaming at her mom because her mom shuts down. And this is just a big old symbolism. Oh, the mine explosion tore her home apart. Get it? (laughs) And then it has to like cram it down your throat with her yelling at her mom when her mom's all shut down and depressed. It just, it feels too much. Like we didn't need the sign of her mom shutting down the mining or her dad going down in the mine, the mine exploding and the house breaking is actually, I mean, it's obvious, but it's artistic. Her yelling at her mom is just a hat on a hat. And I get that a lot of younger kids wouldn't get it, but maybe that's why we put things in there for more sophisticated audiences to be like, Oh, symbolism. I get it. You know, the mind blowing up, killing her dad, ruined her family. And we're going to show that by blowing her fucking house up. I get it. That makes sense. Anyway, I'm going to get pissed at this movie over and over again, but here it is. Uh, Katniss wakes up two days later. Rue took care of her. She's got leaves and shit all over her, so she's traded those leaves out a couple times. They make a plan. The alliance has all gotten together. Those blonde-haired motherfuckers got all the all the supplies from the cornucopia, put it right out in front of the cornucopia in one big old pile, and they mine the shit out of everything. Because apparently there's mines there too. I think there was mines underneath the platforms that they came in on to blow them up if they stepped off early or some shit. Anyway, they mine the fuck out of it. And Rue and Katniss, who up to this point, outside of sharing a couple like glances at each other and like, you know, high fives or like, I think Rue pointed out the wasp nest that she knocked, could knock them down. It's, there should have been more character building as these two than sly glances at each other. It just feels weird. But anyway, they make a plan to blow up the Alliance supplies. Uh, they're going to light random fires to draw the bad guys away, to draw the Alliance away. Cadmus is going to go in. She shoots a thing of apples that falls down onto the big boom thing, and boom. She comes back to where they're supposed to meet. This is also, I'm skipping it. Oh, my God. This is where we learn the whistle. I'm probably off tune, but there it is. And then it was supposed to be like the Mockingjay is, once they whistle, the Mockingjay will carry the tune. That's supposed to be that everything's okay. Only everything's not okay. Because Rue gets stuck in, a, stuck in a net and starts yelling Katniss's fucking name like a goddamn psychopath. Like a goddamn psychopath who wants to kill them all. Which, this would have been a good twist if Rue was in on the whole alliance thing and was fucking her up. That would have been a good twist. But uh, no. 
She gets caught in a net. Katniss frees her. Some dude with a spear shows up, throws it. Katniss, with her bow, kills the dude. First kill. Good job. But the spear goes into Rue. Fucking kills her. Cannons go off. Another one's dead. Dun, dun, dun. And after the funeral, I guess, Katniss gets a bunch of fucking flowers and shit and covers up Rue and is like, Oh, Rue, you're my best friend of all time, even though we literally never talked until you started taking care of me because I was crazy up on wasp shit. But as she does it, she looks back up to where she guesses a camera is. I mean, there's cameras on them at all times. She does the little Boy Scout salute, which means respect. And all, I think it's a District 12 thing. And then all the fucking, and that's the same, um, yeah, because it's the same one when she volunteered as tribute, they gave her the same sign. You know, Boy Scouts forever. I get it. Be prepared. You know, that kind of thing. But then the fucking District 11, where Rue is from, sees her, you know, get killed like that. Apparently, this is the first time they've ever seen that and someone else give a shit because, you know, the funeral thing, Katniss cares and gives a salute. One dude just goes ape shit and the rebellion starts. They fucking like start knocking shit over. It's like, you know, whatever Woodstock 98 when they were like burning shit and throwing stuff around. Just a full on rebellion. And it's kind of awesome. Uh, the only comments I really have here, uh, the kid with the spear that killed Rue takes one fucking gut shot. I watched fucking Boromir in Lord of the Rings take like eight shots before he went down. He was still killing orcs. This little motherfucker takes one fucking arrow to the, uh, of course, they could be to the stomach. He takes one arrow to the stomach and he's over. It's just, I get it, but it would have been cooler if it had been a hard shot. That's all I'm saying. But the riot cut is fucking awesome. Like, those people fucking lose their shit and start burning stuff. And it's like, hell yeah, saw that. That's awesome. We got to the Capitol. Hamish is trying to help out his kids. Because they're doing pretty good, actually. They're down to, like, what, eight? Top seven? Somewhere in there. He's talking to the Game Master. Seneca, whatever the fuck his name is. It'll be a better story. Young love, you can sell that. You know, you can do it. And then we cut to Snow, also talking to the Game Master, says, you know, and he's like, I want to kind of do an underdog thing. And Snow's like, fuck an underdog. Kill an underdog. They cause trouble. And Seneca, he goes with Hamage. He's going to, and they change the rule. Now, if two kids from the same district are alive at the end, they win. So everybody's like, fuck Yeah. And Cadmus is like, fuck yeah, I gotta find Peta. Because last time I saw him, he was with those crazy assholes and running off in the in the night with nowhere. And Rue said he was down by the river, because she's omnipresent, apparently, and sneaky, sneaky bastard. RP. <laughs> but anyway, um Yeah, Cadmus finds Peta wounded. He's got like I did not mention that because he's a cake decorator, he's also great at camouflage. To the point where he can like blend into damn near, like this is the funniest fucking thing in the world when she walks over and like, oh, PETA. And he opens his eyes and it's just like a rock. 
It, I'm sorry, it made me laugh so fucking hard. It just looks so stupid. There's no way in fucking hell he did this. But anyway, maybe he is that talented. I don't know. She takes him to a cave where she kisses him, a little like peck on the cheek. And there's medicine coming because he's got a pretty bad cut too, just like she had. And there's a note on there, you call that a kiss, which I admit, that made me laugh. That's pretty good. News comes, uh, the game makers are putting out necessities at sunrise. And Cadmus is like, fuck yeah, I'm going. And Peter's like, eh, maybe not, you know. And then that night, they're laying together. They have a longer kiss. Peter's like, girl, I've been stalking you since first grade. <laughs> and she's kind of nice. She likes it. Like I said, they, they have a better kiss. Even in this cave, the game masters could watch them, which is what the, you know, you call that a kiss line is they're watching you. But sadly, even though she promised not to go, Peter is worse during the night. He's shaking, probably got fever, chills, indigestion. Who knows? So Cadmus goes back to the cornucopia. Everything looks okay. She watches the redheaded girl run in, get supplies, and run out. So she runs in, and the knife girl pops up, fucking just hacking at her and, like, vicious. This girl's good. And she is like, got that kind of face that, like, screams, I'm a little rat girl with knives, and I'm going to stab you. She can throw them pretty good, too. She gets a good cut off on Cadmus. But right as she, she's got her on the ground, she's got a foot on her hand, like Cadmus is going nowhere. And this girl, for some reason, starts talking like everybody else has in this Hunger Games that's about to kill. Oh, no, they didn't. They just fucking killed him. This girl decides to talk because she's got our hero, as opposed to everyone else. Unfortunately, she did not know about the giant dude who pops up, who was also with Rue. Uh, District 11 picks this girl up and just smashes her fucking face into the wall and turns back to um, Cadmus and was like, that was for Rue. <laughs> but here's the thing. How does he know that? I get that everybody in the capital knows that. I get that everybody back home knows that. I get that everybody else in the world knows that. He's just been in the woods. I mean, I doubt he found Rue's body. I think they're supposed to come collect those. We were never told. There may just be bodies littering this whole fucking place. Although there's not because they're not around the cornucopia. Whatever. Once now I'm thinking, I wonder if anybody ever like saved somebody and, you know, went cannibal. Anyhoozle. Yeah, how does he know about this? I have no fucking clue. And the movie doesn't care. So we're moving on. She's got medicine now. Because this is one of the necessities that was in their pack. Why she didn't steal everybody else's shit. I don't know. Peter goes. She collects food. While Cadmus hunts for food. Because the medicine makes him feel better instantly. Because, again, we're living in this magic world. Where magic medicine just magically magics things. But they still have to subjugate people. Sure. Uh, not Star Trek. You know. Dystopian, I guess. A cannon randomly goes off, and I don't know if I explained it, but cannons going off means someone died. And they show their picture in the sky because apparently the fucking sky is nothing but a 1080p thing. Anyway, um, Cadmus thinks it's Peta, so she runs back. She finds his jacket with a bunch of berries in it, and she's like, oh, fuck. And Peta's like, what? 
And she looks over and she hugs him and she's like, God damn it. And she like grabs a peel like, these are deadly berries number five. He's like, oh shit, I didn't know that. And they walk over and they find the redheaded girl, the girl that was really good at foraging. Apparently she was watching PETA gather all these supplies. So she went ahead and did it, even though we see that she's really good at identifying stuff back in training. But apparently she's not good enough for this. The redhead following, she ate the berries, she died. And then everybody's like, oh, so this is how it's going to be. Down to three. So they make it nighttime, or no, they're down to four. Because they've got Blondie Bear, we've got uh, the Ruse friend, the black guy, big black guy from District 11, and Katniss and Peta. So the game makers make it nighttime. Like, this is this is it. Game over. And then they release what I can only call the dogs from Ghostbuster, <laughs> the hell dogs, whatever. Again, and Seneca looks down and is like, ooh, that's a good one. Are they making these things from scratch right then? Because that kind of negates half the shit that happens in the next couple movies. If you can just genetically make crazy-ass dogs, which in the book, they even like talk and have the faces of the dead kids, which is even more fucked up. But yeah, if they can just make these dogs appear, and they literally appear out of the ground, they just pop up. Like, none of this makes fuck... Ugh. Anyway, it's frustrating that we can just see somebody wave a thing and then a thing happens in nature. Well, whatever. We hear the dogs barking, and then we hear Rue's friend die horribly. And so... Cadmus and Peta go running back to the fucking um, cornucopia. They're chased by the dogs. The blonde kid is also there and starts wailing and beating the shit out of them as they climb, them, climb up on top of the cornucopia. All three of them are just kicking the shit out of each other, and he's kind of broken at this point, realizes that he was sent there to die. Like, I've got nothing left. At least I can take one of you with me, that kind of bullshit. Because he's a killer, baby. He grabs Peta, he's holding him, and this is when he, he gives his big exposition, he's holding him, and Katniss shoots him in the hand, which, I don't know if you've ever looked at your hand, but there's only a couple bones, and the rest of it's flesh, so if something goes through that, it usually goes, like, all the fucking way through it. I mean, maybe it gets stuck, but she's shooting a goddamn bow and arrow point blank. That should have gone right through both of them and, like, pinned Peta to him. But anyway, it's a movie, I get it. Maybe she's an expert at shooting hands because the blondie bear screams and Peter knocks him out, knocks him off down and the dogs swarm on him and apparently take their sweet time because Katniss has to like stand there and be like, okay, she gets, slowly gets an arrow out. She knocks the arrow. She looks again. She pulls the arrow back, releases it and kills the guy on the ground so he doesn't get mauled by dogs, which apparently they can take down District 11 do really fast, but they can't take down Blondie Bear here. It's really fucked up. And then the sun comes up. The dogs leave. The game makers come on the thing. And we're thinking, oh, they're going to say that they're the winner. Nope. Bullshit. They say that the earlier rule about two winners being possible, nah, it's rescinded. There can only be, there can be only one. Katniss and Peta are like, eh, fuck this. Cadness is like, hey man, I saved some of them berries. You want to die? And she's like, he's like, yeah, I guess. Now Katniss apparently is 
savvy to how the game makers are going to deal with this when all along Pete has been the one that actually have that skill. She has had no skill at this whatsoever outside of she's been had to toll like to kiss him. You know, you should be a couple kiss him. But now she's sly enough to be able to like, hey, if we kill each other, if we kill ourselves, they'll stop. And that's what happens before they can eat the killer berries for a double suicide. They're named the winners. And that's it. Hunger Games are over. Two winners this year. Uh, there's an the aftermath. We see the Game Master Seneca gets pretty bad comeuppance from Snow. It's actually, this is another one of those effective storytelling. It's just like music. Maybe there's some people talking, I forget. But it's just the dude, Wes Bentley, gets put in a room. He turns around to leave the room. It's locked. He turns back around, goes, there's this big fucking bowl that's just really pretty crystal. And inside of it, it's all those, you know, evil devil berry killer things. Basically, we're we're told without being told, hey, you fucked up. You told me, or you said that the young love thing would make a better show. Guess what it did? But now we have two fucking winners. So eat some berries, bitch. And that's what he, I guess he has to do, because I don't think he comes back. Hamish is in, he's also like, ah, fuck. We are fucked. And Cadmus is like, no, we won. Where the fuck was the suave girl five minutes ago that was like playing people like puppets with her fucking berries? Because Hamish has to look at her and be like, no, you pissed off the most important people. And they do not forget being pissed off. They don't have anything else. Like, this is what they do, is get back at, I mean, and then we get Wes Bentley getting fucking his ass handed to him with those goddamn berries, and it's just fucking, ooh, like, it's a good setup for the next one, especially Katniss and Peta, they're being interviewed, they're holding hands, and like, oh yes, we found each other, and you know, it's great, and he's been stalking me for years, and it's just the best, and they have to play up that true love, they're stuck together. Because throughout this entire movie, we've been seeing Gale back home, Liam Hensworth, one of the Hensworth dynasty of men, <laughs> just like pining over her and seeing this PETA shit and be like, fucking PETA, the, bre- the baker kid? Knowing it, but not knowing, you know, how much of this is real. You know, just like when your girl goes off on spring break and you see her on MTV hooking up with a VJ and you're just like, Jesus Christ, I guess it's for the TV. Anyway, um, where was I? Oh yeah, now they're stuck together. Cadness wants to be with Gail or wants to be by herself. I think by the end she ends up by herself anyway, but whatever. And then she gets to talk to Snow for a little bit. He likes her pen. But the last images of her going home and Snow standing over there over one of those TV tables just watching her and then turning around and the whole... It's another one of those images where it's like, oh shit, he's going to be watching her for the rest of her fucking life. He's got plans. This dude does not fuck around. And we fade to black and credits. This is basically reality TV meets the lottery with a YA bent. It's the most annoying YA bent because it has to have a, you know, a triangle. It's just super safe for such a violent movie that has, you know, it kills 22 kids it's really front-loaded like like i really wish we'd started at the hunger games and then just had that back story 
added in like, oh, she's here because she volunteered with her sister. Oh, she's here because, you know, her dad died. and That's the pen is the only thing that she has left. And, oh, she has to be with PETA because after her dad, you know, like as we learn all this stuff, like, why didn't she want to be with PETA? He seems nice. And they keep randomly playing acting. Oh, because of this and this and this. But it just feels really front-loaded that we have to get, like, her whole home life. And then them learning, you know, opulence in the capital. And then training. And then them having to be all... I get it why it's like that. It just feels very sloppy. And the script really talks down to people. I mean, there's multiple times. I've pointed out several of them. Like, we get the poison berries two, three scenes before they're used with like for the suicide, the tracker jacks are literally told just then like, Oh, those are tracker jacks. They have hallucinogenic venom. And then she drops them on them. Like it's yeah. Like we don't mention why Haman is a broken drunk. We we don't show that Katniss is a bummer to be around. Like everybody's like, Oh, well, you're just not fun to be around. And it's like, well, yeah, she's traumatized and she's from a pretty, not backwards, but, you know, rural area. Like everybody else seems to be a nice person, but her, and the only reason we know that she's not nice is, I mean, we've seen her laugh before this. Her and Gail had a good time. She stripped out her mom, but her and Prem had a good relationship. Her and the old lady seemed really nice. The old lady gave her the goddamn pin. What the fuck? I mean, you know, she may have been picked for reaping and maybe she felt sad for Katniss or whatever. But we're not really shown that Katniss is a bad politically person. I don't know. Outside of her just... I mean, okay, there was the stabbing the table with Hamish. That that was a good one. But overall, it's informed. It doesn't seem like she can... We have to be told it. We can't just let that happen. Like... The scene where she's on the first interview where she's really nervous and everything, it really shows. And it's really well done. I don't know. It's like, I don't know if they just don't trust the, the writers didn't trust the audience. Again, and the symbol of the house blowing up, but then you have to have the scene with the mom showing up. It just, it doesn't fit. But overall, this is great acting. Like I said, it's, it's really well done. It's a good idea. I just wish the execution had been a little bit different. Um, but, you know, wish in one hand. Uh, here's what we have. I do recommend it. It's not 100% recommend. Uh, maybe 60%. If you're looking for a fun flick while you're hungover, you could do worse. Like, it's got that really quiet front half that's just like, okay, we're just going to sit here. And then, you know, right as you sort of nod off, you can wake up and it's like, oh, fuck yeah. Whole bunch of goddamn kid murder. Yeah, we we can get down with that. So I do recommend it. Just not it's not the end all be it's not great. It's it's aged really poorly. The effects are really bad too. Uh, I forgot to mention that. Um it's mostly just the fire effects, because they're fucking fire effects. Everything else looks fine. Actually now I'm thinking about it, I kind of do wish I could renew re- re- review the next one. I mean I can. It's my fucking thing. I renew I can review whatever fuck I want. But I don't think it's been banned, but Philip Seymour Hoffman would, oh, he'd be, he's, he was great. Just everything he did. But everybody here is great. 
uh, Jennifer Lawrence does an amazing job. Like I said, that kid Prim is awesome. The kid that does PETA. I'm sorry, I don't know all their names. He was uh, Bridge of Terabithia. That was a really good book, uh, movie. He was in that. I- I'm sorry. You? <laughs> but that's it. Have you ever hunted anybody for sport? Uh, do you like this movie compared to other YA materials? You know, Twilight, Divergent, all that bullshit. Does this movie hold up to the books, in your opinion? You can send your answers to our Twitter, Band Library, or one of the ways you can contact us on the contact page, bandlibrary.com. Or you can just straight email contact at bandlibrary.com. Subscribe to the podcast on Google Play, Amazon, iTunes, wherever you get us. Follow us on Twitter. And tell us other social media that you like us to follow. Or if there's something nice, we're never going to be on TikTok. Sorry, it's just not going to happen. Although I think I, we do have a TikTok. I'm just not going to do it. A sports on Patreon. $1 a month gets you everything we've done. There's got to be a couple hundred episodes in there by now. I mean, we're on 209 here. And then there was another whole couple of years before I started even putting numbers on this shit. So join us over there. Thank you very much for listening. Stay in. Read a book. Music, Dances and Dames, by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0.